at the time that you're existing right now, He's made you for this time. You remember in the um, Bible, was it Esther, that her uncle said, who knows if you may have been born into the born for such a time as this. And I want to encourage you this morning to not take for granted the time that you live in. A lot of times, how many of you feel like you're an old soul and you wish that you were born around the turn of the century or the 20s and you look back, watch old movies, you're like, man, that would have been so awesome. But uh, God intended for you to be born right now at this time. But man, this season is so awesome. Um, we're, uh, I've got something that I've always, you know, it's the little things. I've got something that I've uh, always dreamed of having, and uh, that's a, a wood-burning fireplace. Um, I grew up with an old Fisher uh, stove. It was the only thing, uh, only heat source in our house was a Fisher wood-burning heater uh, with the flue. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And the flue goes up, and stove, we got a stove pipe. It wasn't flue, it was a stove pipe. Go up, and, uh, and most of the time it would, like, go through a, a piece of sheet metal with a hole cut in the window, you know? <laughs> and then up, and some tin foil over the top to keep the rain out. Um, no, it wasn't that bad. Um, my grandparents, it was like that. But my, uh, we, uh, we grew up as that was our, our source of heat. And uh, so I've always, gr- I grew up with all my clothes always smelling like, you know, that smell when I get to school, you know. Everybody would be like, you smell like smoke, you know, like I've been smoking or something. But uh, it was that wood, wood heat. So we've got that now, and we're going to, we've been running it wide open. I bet I've gone through uh, half a quart of wood already. It'd be 50 degrees, we're burning wood. Um, but anyway, we're just having a blast uh, during this season. All right, y'all ready for some really corny jokes? It's not going to be as corny as the one Kenneth told me coming in this morning. <laughs> I, I would, I'm not even going to say it from here. The bad thing about the joke that Kenneth told me as I was coming in, it was really corny, and I didn't get it. <laughs> and it took me a few minutes, and then I did get it, and I wish I hadn't have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, here it is. Um, five things to be thankful for. Automatic dishwashers, because they make it possible to get out of the kitchen before everybody comes in for snacks after dinner. Um, Husbands who attack small repair jobs around the house, because they usually make them big enough to call in the professional. (laughs) Kids who put away their things and clean up after themselves. They're such a joy, you hate to see them go home to their own house. (laughs) Smoke alarms, because they let you know when the turkey's done. And gardening, because it's a relief to deal with dirt outside the house for a change. (laughs) All right, here's a quick story. Uh, Butterball Turkey, the company, set up a a telephone hotline at some point to answer consumer questions about preparing turkeys. A woman called in to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in the bottom of her freezer for 23 years. (laughs) Y'all ever ever brought meat out that was like, been in there for a long time, and you you go to out and you're like, no, that ain't happening. It's like, looks like paper. Um, so the butterball representative told her that the turkey would probably be safe to eat if the freezer had been kept below zero for the entire 23 years. But the butterball representative warned her that if the turkey was safe to eat, the flavor would probably have deteriorated to such a degree that she would not recommend eating it. So the caller replied, that's what I thought. We'll give it to the church. So... <laughs> I, I'm just, uh, I'm saying, I've been in church long enough to 
know? The table with the broke leg, give it to the church, you know? The church inherits, like, everything that everybody else doesn't want. You know, God began, this has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but God really laid on my heart um, when we were in youth ministry. God laid on my heart because uh, we were sitting, we were watching a movie, and we had, like, a 55-inch TV. And I was thinking about, you know, we need to buy a little 19-inch TV or something to put, you know, at the entrance of the youth room to so make it exciting and everything. And the conviction that came on me was, why am I sitting at home in my house watching a 55-inch TV, and I'm thinking about buying a little $100 19-inch TV to put in God's house? So we, we do get our priorities flipped sometimes, but uh, that's not what we're talking about this morning, just throwing that in there. We start... We started last week on the subject of Thanksgiving, and Pastor Cricket got it started off, and, and uh, we were talking about the difference between Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving, and uh, it's beyond, Thanksgiving is living beyond just giving thanks, because thankfulness is contingent on something good that has happened in my life. And when something bad happens in my life, then my attitude changes. Because it's fickle. It's fluid. It floats around based on what's going on in my life. And that is no way for a Christian to live. That's the way the world lives. But that is not the way for a Christian to live. It's living beyond just giving thanks. It's living in a state of constant, everybody say constant, constant gratitude. Our key verse, First uh, Thessalonians 5.18. And we're going to pick this apart because, guys, don't ever let us be guilty of, of reading Scripture and trying to fit it within our own framework. Because Scripture is meant to redefine your framework. Scripture is meant to rock your world. It's meant to rock your boat. It's meant to knock down your, your Jenga tower, you know? It's meant to... That's an odd thing to say, but anyway. Uh, here it is. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So let's first state the obvious that it is inhuman for you to be thankful for everything that happens in your life. As Christians, we can never get in this, frame, this, this, this mindset that no matter what happens to me, I have to be thankful for it. Because that is, not only is it inhuman, it's a little bit odd. It is odd for us, for something bad to happen to us and say, well, God, I'm thankful for that because you said, you know, to be thankful for everything. But you know what? That's not what he said. He did not say to be thankful for everything. He said to be thankful in everything. Meaning that there's a thankfulness in you that is not contingent on what just happened. There is a spirit, there's something in you that is bigger and more powerful than anything that can come against you. So he didn't say for everything. Because that's just, you know, the world probably looks at us sometimes and just thinks, y'all are just, you know, y'all are just wacko. And, uh, and sometimes I think they're true. Uh, I think it's true. So, um, but he didn't say for, he said in. And in in Greek is in, but it's spelled different. Instead of I-N, in Greek it's E-N. And it kind of means the same thing as English, but I thought it'd be really interesting just to give you the definition of what in means. So in in Greek is a fixed position in place, time, or state implying rest. I'm going to say it again because it needs to sink in. Uh, when it says in everything, it's a fixed position in place, 
in time, in state, and it implies rest. Being thankful when I say I'm, I'm thankful in this season of Thanksgiving, I am thankful. When we say that, that's not a bad thing. But, and that's, but I think it's just part of it because being thankful for means that it's a conditional response. But being thankful in means that my attitude is constant regardless of what happens. So why is having an attitude of gratitude... Don't you hate it when people say that? Have an attitude of gratitude. Okay. Why is an attitude of gratitude... I actually didn't know that I wrote that. And so uh, it just came out. So an attitude of gratitude is so important. You ready? Because it is a sign of my level of faith in God. Having an attitude of gratitude is so important because it is a sign of my level of faith in God. If I'm only thankful as good things happen to me, my relationship with Jesus becomes conditional. And it's based on what he has done instead of what he will do. And did you know faith has nothing to do with what has happened? Your experience will dict if you will let your experience of what has happened in the past dictate your future, you will never go beyond where you're at. Faith is connected to something beyond where you are. Faith is connected to something out there in the future that hasn't happened yet. It's a hope of things that are yet unseen. So if we're basing our thankfulness on something that has happened, then it's a conditional response. Okay. Since faith is the opposite of being thankful for what has happened, of conditional, of conditions, that's uh, what he, uh, because faith is what he will do. Being thankful only for the past gives me zero control over my future. Too many Christians, and myself included a lot of times, it's really easy for us to slip into this uh, que sera, sera attitude that whatever God's will is, will happen. And can I tell you, that sounds good, but it's not biblical. God's will does not magically happen in your life because you are the gatekeeper of your life. And then you take into account everybody around you that's the gatekeeper of their life. And that explains why so many of us have been hurt in the past and so uh, by other people and how other people can uh, bump up against us wrong because they're making decisions as you're making decisions and we're just standing back and saying, you know, well, if God wants this to happen, it's going to happen. And can I just tell you that God has given you the power with faith. If he, if he, if he, if he didn't want you to open wide the gate so, so the King of Glory can come into your life, he wouldn't have given you the tool of faith. He gave you the tool of faith so that you can connect yourself with what His will is. So those people are going to be very picky about some things. On the big things, the things that really matter, they're going to say, K sera, sera. They're going to be really picky about what they they want on their uh, Sonic Burger. You know, no onions, mustard. They want it exactly a specific way. And if you bring it to me with onions, I'm sending it right back. You know, we're so picky about these menial things in life. But with the big things, we say, well, whatever will happen, will happen. (laughs) Our free will, the the free will that God gave you is for more than what you want on your burger. 
It's for more than mayo or mustard. And it's mayo, by the way, all the way with bacon. So um, it's for more than that. God has given you a free will to not let things just roll in however they happen. See, Joshua said it this way. He said, I set before you, he spoke to the entire, all of the children of Israel. He said, I set before you this day life and death. And he didn't say, you better pray and hope that life comes. He said, choose life. Choose this day who you will serve. He said, choose life. You have the power to choose life in every situation. If you are unable to have control over what comes, then what is your faith for? Because Jesus died to fill you with the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit could come and fill you up and so that you could be connected with the source so that you could have use your free will that God gave you to choose life and to choose His will in your life. We're all on a journey of building our faith. And we're all at different places in connecting our faith with our future. But we have got to stop blaming every bad thing on God and saying, well, whatever happens is God's will. No, it isn't. Because we don't have to go very far through history to find something that absolutely 100% could not have been the will of God. It is totally against the nature of God. And for us to say, well, you know, that's God's will because it happened. That's ridiculous. I'm sorry. And I know I... I know I should be more sensitive about these things, but it really is it really is ridiculous to hang something like that, something like the Holocaust, something like you know any of these events in the past that were just so horrendous and so demonic and, and hang that on God so on another level the bad the, there's things that happen in our life we've had we've had losses in our church we've had we've had losses and we're supposed to be thankful for those things because it's part of God's will. Come on guys. The devil comes to steal, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Until we get the basics, this has nothing to do with the message, but until we get the basics right, we cannot go forward. Until we know that, that what is evil and what is good, when he said, choose you this day whom you will serve, and when he said, I set before you life and death, if we don't know the difference between life and death or where they come from, then we can't make that choice. We've got to decide this day who we're going to serve. Okay, moving on. All right, so on that journey. And it isn't arrogance to walk in what Jesus died to give you. In fact, to not walk in what Jesus died to give you would be a travesty. And it would be an insult to God. See, we've got to stop. We, we, we need to stop uh, looking at ourselves and say, and, and, let me say this. We've got to stop looking at ourselves and seeing ourselves. We've got to be able to look in us and see Jesus. We've got to be able to look at ourselves and say, God, you made this. This isn't something that just happened and use it if you can. God made you intentionally and designed you and he designed you for your for his Holy Spirit to be in you to illuminate and magnify all of those things that he put in you and that is not arrogance. 
when you when you try to find out who it is that he's made you and what he's called you to do and how he's gifted you that is not self-centeredness that is making use of the the high price that Jesus paid on the cross um, so that your life isn't just wasted so that you just don't go through your life just saying whatever rolls in it's got to be God's will God has put us uh, he's he set our feet on a path and it's a path that when Jesus died he paved when Jesus died he paved Paved our path, and that He set our feet on that path. And if we don't walk it, then guys, what was it for? All right. So, so how can I be thankful in all things? Just uh, just a heads up. We're about to blow through a lot of scripture, and uh, but we're building towards something. And uh, I want to show you from from a lot of different directions um, how this word of God. So. So how can we be thankful in all things? Well, for one, we have to stop looking for something. Everybody say something. something. We have to stop looking for something to be thankful for because that's always changing. Right. No, it's, it's impossible to ever happen to you to be good. That's, that's, that is totally, that's, not, that's kind of ridiculous to think that everything that's going to happen to me because I'm a Christian is going to be good. And everything, now he does promise that he's going to turn it if you just wait. But I shouldn't be thankful for something bad that happens. I should just be waiting for something that God is going to bring something out of that. But we have to stop looking at something to be thankful for and start looking for someone to be thankful for because he's constant. He's unchanging. He's the rock. He never moves. He's always good. He never brings bad things in your life. So, first of all, let's go to John 4, 46. I'm going to read four verses there. John 4, 46. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea of Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, now let me stop right here real quick. His son was at the point of death. What would you do? If you heard that Jesus was in town, you would, I would think the fact that you knew Jesus was the answer and you went to Jesus, that that would be the, the best thing you could do, right? And it was. It was completely appropriate for him to go find Jesus to heal his son. But Jesus said something a little bit, it's almost kind of harsh. He said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And if you read this in other translations, it was, it's harsher than it sounds even in King James. Basically, he looked at him and told him that if you see this miracle, then you'll believe. But you won't believe without it. It was, it was a harsh thing for Jesus to say, and it's something that we're going to see is a theme that he repeats in a lot of different incidents. But the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down ere my child die. And Jesus said to him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. See, the man received his miracle. 
which is, is pretty much most of us, that's our goal, is to receive our miracle. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Jesus came through for this man, and he received the miracle, and he was probably very thankful that his son was healed, but Jesus expected more. All right. All right. Jesus raised a standard above even him getting a miracle. And we look, at, we look around us and we see all these things that are wrong in our life, and it's like, I need a miracle, I need a miracle, I need a miracle. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But Jesus expects more. Jesus expects us to go a step above needing miracles all the time. See, I have five children, and none, all of my children always come to me, uh, or mostly Leah, but they come to us when they need things. But if that's all our relationship was about, it would be incredibly shallow. I would expect more. I expect a deeper relationship with my children than fulfilling their needs. Even though their needs are sincere and even though I will feel the need. And even though I will, I will go out of my way, I will do without. I will, um, one of my favorite scenes is in Cinderella Man, in a movie, is Cinderella Man where it's during the depression and everybody's out of work and, um, and uh, he, they're eating fried bologna for breakfast and, uh, and the daughter had already had her bologna but she said, I'm still hungry. You know, and then, and y'all know this movie? No, okay. I think it's kind of gruesome. Maybe you shouldn't watch it. Um, anyway, and so he says, he says, you know what? He said, last night I dreamed that I had this big feast and whatever and I woke up completely full here of mine, you know, and, um, but that's what a parent does. A parent does without, does whatever they have to do, right, to make sure that their children have what they need, and God is no different, but he expects more. He wants more from us than just that, and when we live a life only thankful for the good things that have happened, missing the relationship. We're not hooked up with the source of something that is unchanging, our relationship with Him, that we can be thankful and grateful in anything. What? Not for, but in. So, John eleven thirty nine through 42 says this. Jesus said, Take you away the stone. We know this is about Lazarus. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, listen to this, said I not to thee, this is the King James way of saying, didn't I say, didn't I say that if you would believe that you should see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I now know and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. I'm going to read the last sentence there one more time. I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. That word believe uh, is actually, it's not believe in my ability. It's believe in me. The translation of that is believe in me. He also didn't say, if you believe in me, you're going to see Lazarus raised from the dead. That's not what he said. Did Lazarus raise from the dead? Yes. But Jesus expected more. He said, 
He didn't say, if you believe in me, you'll see Lazarus raised from the dead. He said, you will see the glory of God. And we don't have an issue. Uh, that we, we see from this that you know we never have an issue. Martha didn't have an issue believing uh, that God hears us. When we pray, we wouldn't pray. We wouldn't ask him for things if, we, if we, we didn't believe that he hears us and that he'll help us and that he'll do. And there's nothing wrong with that because he said to do it. He said to ask for anything in his will and he'll do it. So we're supposed to. But, so we don't have an issue with that. But what we don't understand is our connection with him. See, what Jesus said, he said, I know that you always hear me. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. In other words, here's what he's saying. What he's doing, he's, he's drawing the picture out loud in front of everybody that God sent me to you. And you can see the glory of God. And I know you have a deep need right now. And I'm going to feel that need. But just know that you are connected to the Heavenly Father for more than just what you need right now. See, Jesus echoed this over and over and over throughout the Scripture. Uh, going on from there... Uh, no, I'm sorry. Let's go to John 11.39. He's, that's what we just read. Okay, sorry. I'm a little scattered this morning. We're going to get there. Luke 10.18-20. This is where we need to be. That last McDonald's coffee was probably a mistake. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. How many of you, if you commanded a, a demon to come out and it, was, it, it came out screeching and terrified and fled, you would rejoice. You would rejoice that they're set free. That the, He said, in this, don't rejoice. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation because it's a, it's a pretty interesting uh, uh, the way that it that it translates. It was Luke chapter 10. I didn't put this in the notes, so I'm just going to have to read it to you. All right, here it is. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then it goes on, uh, uh, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Oh, I'm in the NIV. I knew that wasn't right. I'm like, that sounds just like the King James. All right. Jesus replied, let's back up. Jesus replied, while you were ministering. Now, this is the interesting thing. This is the way it actually translates. 
He said, you know, we think of, you know, I saw, and this may mess with our theology a little, so I'm not going to talk about it. But uh, he says, it, it translates it this way in the, uh, the pastor's translation. While you were ministering, I watched Satan topple until he fell suddenly from heaven like lightning to the ground. I thought that was interesting. That's worth studying out. Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. You will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. However, your real source of joy isn't merely that these spirits submit to your authority, but that your name are written in the journals of heaven and that you belong to God's kingdom. This is the true source of your authority. So that, that clears it up a little bit for me. But All right. So thanks living happens when you realize that your source of joy isn't in what happens but in your connection to heaven. See, when he said that your name, rejoice that your names are written in heaven, he wasn't talking about one day you're going to go to heaven. And that's what I've always thought. You should rejoice that you're going to heaven. But no, what he was saying is your name, your identity, who you are, is journaled in heaven itself. You have a connection to heaven. It's not about just going to heaven when you die. And what he's saying is you need to rejoice because you are connected to the source of the authority and the power that, will, that can cast out a demon, that causes demons to be subject to you. All right, so now let's read on. Uh, verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, key right here, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. Joy comes from the, in the flow from the source through us to the need. See, we're, we're short-sighted when we approach a need and we say, God... Take care of this. God, take care of this. And then God will because He's a good Father. He will take care of that thing for you. But our real joy will come when we realize that we are connected to the source. We are connected to the Father and the answer can flow through us. And let me say again, that is not arrogance. That is not self-centeredness. That is knowing who you are in Christ. That we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That you have spiritual authority not on yourself. You remember the sons of Sceva. You know, they thought they could say the right words and that they would have the right authority. And it said they fled uh, bruised and naked. You know, the demons jumped on them and, and and beat them up. So it's not in you. But there's a Jesus in you that no force of hell can stand against. How many of you know that Jesus is in you? That is the source of your authority and that's where your rejoicing should happen. It's not in seeing things happen around you. It's in knowing that I am connected to the source of all authority over every darkness. And the light of all light is shining through me. That's where our true joy can come from. Greater joy will come when we get a greater revelation of God through a deeper relationship with Jesus and a greater reliance on the Holy Spirit. By the way, did you know that joy is not your strength? 
It's the joy of the Lord. That is your strength. Being happy, laughing at a joke, whatever, it'll make you feel better. But your strength comes with the, from the joy of the Lord. So there's more to this Christian thing than just cherry-picking whatever we want from Him to make our life easier. And when I say I don't say that with any disrespect. Because we, when I say make our life easier, it's not always about convenience. Sometimes it's about real, genuine needs. You know, uh, all of us, if it's not in us, we, can look, we don't have to look very far to see people, see hopelessness. To see people who are going through things that it doesn't seem like there's any answer. And we, if, we, if we can't see it around us, then we can look in other countries and we can see things like how, how could it ever change. We don't have to look very far to get really discouraged. Most of us, we can look in our own life and we can see something hopeless, something impossible. So it's not all about just making your life convenient. It's, there's, some, there's a lot of really, really genuine needs. But to just to take from our relationship with Jesus what we need for that thing is missing it. We want a bill paid. He wants us to generate income for the kingdom. Let me say that again because I, I, this is, you know, this isn't prosperity, but it is. But it isn't prosperity for the sake of prosperity. God wants to prosper you. He wants you to have good things, just like we want our children to have good things. But that's not the end. That's not what it's about. He, we want the bill paid, but He wants us to generate income for the kingdom. He wants His house to be blessed. He wants you to be a storehouse when someone is in need. He wants it to flow through you instead of you just saying, I feel you, brother. I'm going to pray about it. He wants you to be a very practical resource, a very practical source of help for people who need help. And He will give you the discernment. Most, most of us, He will never get us to that point because we don't have the discernment in how to use it, myself included. There's a lot of, a lot of times that I've been irresponsible with what God has blessed me with. But God wants us to get to a place both in our wisdom and discernment that we can handle prosperity in such a way that we become a storehouse and that we can actually bring His kingdom to earth in a very real practical way in people's life and have the ability to do it without saying, I'll pray about it. I'll pray, pray for you, you know. God wants to use you in that way. So we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be misunderstood. But He wants to surround us with a church family. He wants us to become into perfect unity as the body of Christ so that we see the unique way that He's made us and how we fit jointly together as the body of Christ. And there is nothing that um, battles loneliness in our life or nothing that battles uh, being misunderstood in our life more than being a part of the body of Christ. I didn't say being a member of a church. Because you could be a member of a church and be an outsider. We had a, a, a gentleman that was in our youth group in Kentucky. Never fit in. He never fit in. And he would, uh, he, he, he went on the outside, he, he, he left, he graduated and everything. It didn't, he didn't go into the church, he just, just uh, never went to, back to church. So he's always uh, getting in touch with me and saying, man, life is so hard, life is so difficult, I just don't, you know, it's just so bad, you know. And I'd be like, buddy, you've got to get in church. Yeah. 
You've got to get in church. And he's like, well, I've tried a few churches, you know, and I just feel like I'm an outsider. I feel like nobody accepts me or whatever. And that is a problem. It is a problem. It's not a problem here. <laughs> but it is a problem. Uh, we've been a part of a lot of uh, churches where you've got to fit a mold. Victory has no mold. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, that's, a lot of people would say that's our weakness, but I think that's the strength of victory. Um, but, uh, and I just say, buddy, you got to try. You got to do something because your life is not going to turn around. You're not going to get rid of this isolation until you make an effort to get in the middle of what God is doing and surround yourself with the people that God wants to put in your life. That's what, that's God's will for us. That's the reason he stressed it so hard. I mean, I wouldn't last two weeks if I got out of church. Can I just be honest with you? If I got out of church, I would be a hellion in two weeks. My temper, everything about me is um, the fellowship that we have here on a weekly basis, three, four times a week sometimes. That's what keeps it real for me. That's what keeps God real in my life. It's because, can I tell you this? Um, when I look out uh, here, you know, uh, this morning I'm struggling a little bit, but, but typically, you know, there's just like, um, I don't know how to explain this. There's a, uh, a flow that happens when I'm speaking to you guys, and it's because of love that's in my heart for you. I learned that that's the secret. I, I spent, um, well... 10, 12 years, I guess, as a youth pastor worried about how things sounded and worrying about how I looked and worried about everything about me. And we had a big youth group. And uh, we had about 80 kids. And I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe a half a dozen are serving the Lord today. Abject failure as a youth pastor. And it was because when I stood up there it was about me. And can I tell you this? Some of the most stressful years of my life. But I learned that if I pray for you guys, love stirs in my heart. And I really want everybody in here to have a river of life flowing out of you. I really want everybody in here to experience the goodness of God. I don't, it, it's not about building a church. It's not about building... Um, a reputation. It's not about building anything except just building each other. Building each other up. Until we all come into completion and into the fruition of what He's called us to be. So, we, all, we want to be healed. Everybody, I mean, if I... <laughs> We've got this cough going around our house. We pray every day. You know, we, we, we come again. We've tried everything. We come against it. You know, we rebuke it. We cast it out. And then we, we bless our lungs. We bless, you know, we do all these things. And, and that's because that's what God told us to do. We take authority over those things. We do everything that God's told us to do. But He wants more than just us to be healed. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to return to our creative order. He wants us to see, we pick out, we cherry pick and say, this is wrong with me, Lord, will you heal this? God is saying, I want to flow through you and make you whole. My, your spirit, your soul, your body. I want you to walk in perfect, complete wholeness. That's good. And um, so, that, so God's will for us is, is more than these little things that we try to pick out of it. See, God is not a first aid kit. He's the source of all life. 
We minimize God when we want Him to patch up things in our life instead of Him being the source of life in us. God doesn't have answers for you. He is the answer. God doesn't have, if you're single, God doesn't have love in your future. He is love. He embodies all the things that we need. And He is in you. And that's what we fail to realize. And I think that's the thing over the last few months that God has really been stressing to me is that I am in you. Don't pray out here. Lord, come down. That's Old Testament. Lord, come down and save me. Lord, do this. He said, I am in you. He said, I am closer than even a brother. I'm closer than that because I'm in you. Um, So when I was about nine years old, um, we attended Holly Springs Baptist Church. There was a gentleman named Tom Hartley that came, and uh, they were missionaries in Guatemala, him and Miss Deb, and they, they were missionaries in Guatemala, and they were in their uh, late 20s at the time, which I thought they were, like, you know, older, you know? <laughs> no, late 20s as kiddos. So, um, but they were in their late 20s, and they came, and they... Um, uh, they started pastoring at Holly Springs Baptist Church. And Holly Springs Baptist Church is an incredible church uh, now. When I was there, uh, it, was, it was very strict. It was very traditional, and they had a set of beliefs, and, no, and you didn't veer from that. Um, today, um, Brother David Dillard is there, and uh, it's an incredible church, and the Holy Spirit is moving there. It's unbelievable. Um, but so Tom Hartley... Uh, um, I was saved. I went down to the altar and got saved. And he kept pressuring me. <laughs> when you're a kid, it's just pressure to get baptized. And he said, you've got to be baptized. You've got to be baptized. I know. But at that time, in the Baptist church, you had to walk the aisle for everything. And it was so hard. In fact, I couldn't walk the aisle to be saved. I was coming down to shake hands with some, a couple that just got engaged. And the pastor grabbed me and pulled me down to the altar and led me in the sinner's prayer. And that's how I got saved. Because I, I didn't have the boldness to walk the altar. But they wouldn't do that to be baptized. I had to walk the altar to be baptized. And so, um, so anyway, I finally got around to it. And uh, we, uh, we didn't have a baptismal. What we had is a spring in the woods in the back of the church. And it was late October, a very cold late October, if I remember. And uh, me and my friend uh, were baptized early Sunday morning. I think it was before church on Sunday morning. And uh, we went back in those woods, and our pastor baptized in that spring. What he had done is uh, he found where the water was coming out of the ground, bubbling out of the ground. And he cleared it out and cleared it out and cleared it out until he had made a pool that was this deep. And if you know anything about springs, it's crystal clear water and it looks like you want to be in it, but you don't. Because it's just above freezing. And um, so we got in and I have never felt anything like that in my life. It wasn't anything, and I'm not talking about the spirit, I'm talking about the coldest water I've ever experienced. When I went under, it was like an explosion in my chest. And when I came up, it took me probably 10 seconds to find my breath again. I was just, I was so embarrassed because I was going, <laughs> and I couldn't find my breath. And uh, the water was so stinking cold. So anyway, it was something, it was a very memorable baptizing and something I'll never forget. And um, so probably a year or two ago, I was doing some workout at Holly Springs Baptist Church, and I was like, I wonder if that spring is still there. Now, mind you, I was nine. So how many years ago was that? 20, 30, 32, 
Really? Wow. So three decades ago. And you, you, you forget how much time has really passed. So, um, so I'm going out there looking for it, and I couldn't find it, and nothing looked the same. Have you ever done that? Go back to you know, like your, a town that you saw when you were a kid, and it doesn't look like the same. You don't even know how to get there because everything's changed. Um, so everything was different, and uh, there, were, there were thorns and briars growing all over everything, a lot of underbrush, trees where there weren't trees before. You know, in 30 years, a tree would get this big around. And uh, so I finally dug around and, and like looked around, and I was like, well, it's got to be here somewhere. And I found like where the leaves were kind of wet. That's all that was left. All that was left is some moisture on top of the ground. And before, there was this big open area. I remember there were people standing all around. And there was this big open area, and there was this dugout hole. And the, the spring was just flowing in and flowing out of it. And it was all gone. And uh, did you know what God spoke to me in that moment was that these words, he said, it's still there. The spring is still there. The work hasn't been done, but the spring is still there. Do you know my pastor at that time, he did a lot of work to clear that spot out and to dig that, that hole where that spring would flow into it. He did all that. He didn't make the spring. He found the spring and he prepared a place for that spring to flow and that's where I was baptized. The Lord is good. Amen. His mercy endures forever. It does not run out. It does not stop. It does not quit flowing. His spring in you never dried up. His spring in you is still there. It doesn't just go away just because you ignore it. Just because that you fail to work on your relationship with Jesus does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not flowing. The Holy Spirit stands at every door knocking. His goal is to expand into all the earth. And He has not given up on you. He has not dried up in you. If you've lost the spring, start digging again. Start feeling around. Start digging. However deep you dig is what the spring will feel. In the Old Testament, it says there's going there's a story where it was fixing to rain after a drought, and uh, the Lord told him to start digging ditches. And every ditch you dig, I will fill. In your life, it's time to start digging out. It's time to start clearing out. It's time to start preparing a place for the Lord to flow. Now, Ezekiel 47, I'm going to try to get through this, but Ezekiel 47, verse 1 through 6, and I know we all know this story, and we rehashed it over the last couple of months quite a bit, but it says, Afterward, he brought me again to the door of the house. This is a vision of Ezekiel where he's actually seen the temple of the Lord. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward, for the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came out from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward, led me around the way with, without unto the utter gate by the way that looked eastward. I don't know why I chose King James today. It's very difficult. But, all right. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured out a thousand cubits. 
And he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. And he measured out a thou- another thousand and brought me through the waters. And they were to the knees. Again, he measured out a thousand and brought me through. And the waters were to the loins. And afterward, he measured out a thousand. And it was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Let's stop right there. And let me ask you that. Have you seen this? The answer is no. You have never seen this before. Because this is a river that started out a trickle and became a river that no man could cross. Within a short amount of time, that does not happen. On the earth, everything diminishes. Everything decays. Everything starts out 100% and wanes until it's 0%. Including the universe, everything that we know about life is waning, is deteriorating, is decaying. You have never seen this before. Not with your eyes. Everything on earth is going away. But what flows from the throne increases as it flows. The only thing in existence that increases over time instead of diminishes is what flows from the throne of God. Do you know why? Because in Him is creative power. He is the creator of all things. And if He does something, it will increase. It will increase in you. It will increase through you. Is the only thing, and I, God just pointed that out to me. We've read through this and read through this, and I'm like, wait a minute, rivers don't do that. You know why? You know what rivers do? And I mean, speaking of the church, but um, rivers split. They split and they go this way, and they soak in the ground and they diminish, and then they some of them dump into a a, 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 a puddle of water with no outlet, and it stagnates. Beavers dam it up over here. There's all of these things that happen to rivers here on the earth, but what flows from heaven will increase. All right. Yeah, all right. So let me ask you this. Where is the temple of God? Where do I find this river? Because I need this river. I need creative power in my life. When you have an impossible situation that there is nothing to be thankful for, you need something that will that is outside of everything you know to work this thing out. 1 Corinthians 3:16 says this, "Do you not know?" This is another <laughs> this is another brash statement from the word of God. "Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple?" and that God's Spirit dwells in you. What is the river if it's not the Spirit of God? The difference between thanksgiving and thanksgiving is the source. Experiences that have run out or the river that never will. Just thankfulness for the past or faith for the future. That's the difference between them. If you've let bad experiences steal your thankfulness, you are stuck. If all of your confidence is in what happens to you, and when something bad happens to you, your gratefulness, your, your thankfulness goes with it, you're stuck. You know why? Because your outlook will perpetuate your reality. David commanded his soul to rejoice because he knew that's what steered his future. 
And if you have no reason to be thankful this season, let this season be an excuse to shift your focus away from a circumstantial faith to faith in the source of all life. From answers to the answer. From miracles to the miracle worker. From healing to the healer. From provision to the provider. Your faith, my faith, cannot be connected to a thing. It's not faith. If it's connected to a thing. And it will produce nothing. It has to be connected to a person. It has to be connected to God. Let's stand up on our feet this morning. We're going to do a declaration this morning. We're going to close a little bit different. Um, But before we close, we're going to sing. We're going to all sing. This is going to be fun. No. I'm not there. Thank you. We're not going to sing that. Um, Because y'all know this song. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well. Y'all know this? And give to me that life abundantly. One more time. Spring up, oh well. There you go. Within my soul, spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundant. Now we're going to sing something that only those of you that were paying attention in Sunday school learned. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. It opens prison doors, sets the captives free. Oh, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well, and give to me that life abundantly. Let's declare this this morning. Say this after me. Say, this is not the end. My lift is not where I think it is. There is a spring inside me that does not only never run dry, it multiplies. Everything will live where this river flows. In Jesus' name, amen.